This is the Youpreneur FM podcast, where each week we bring you the strategies and resources you need to build, market, and monetize a profitable, future-proof business around your knowledge and expertise. And now, here's your host, international business mentor and best-selling author, Chris Ducker. Yes, hello, my friend, and welcome to episode number 366 of Youpreneur FM. No matter where you're tuning in from anywhere on the planet right now, I want to th- I want to genuinely say thank you for being with me today. The fact of the matter is, actually, there are a lot of podcasts out there, right? There's a lot of shows out there that you could be subscribing to and reviewing and rating and listening in on a regular basis. But hey, you choose this one. You choose this one. You choose ours. And I'm very much appreciated of that fact. Today on the show, we continue our 2019 Youpreneur Summit keynote presentations for you. All month this month, we're bringing all four keynote presentations from last year's Youpreneur Summit right here, uncut, fully unedited, including laughter and crowd cheering, um, uh, right here onto the show. So that for the you guys that weren't there at the event and want to check it out, maybe at some point in the future, you get a little bit of an idea of the type of stuff that we're sharing, the stories that we're telling, and what actually goes on at the event. Last week, we heard from Todd Herman, who opened up the event with his incredible alter ego effect keynote. It was incredible. And I tell you, we had so much great feedback on that particular session. It was unbelievable. This week, we give you the closing keynote from day one from the one and only Phil Jones. Now, for many of you who are involved in the online world out there, you might not know a lot about Phil because he's not really a podcaster or a blogger. He doesn't do a lot of online video and things like that. But what does Phil do? Well, he speaks. He speaks for a living. He's a full-time keynote speaker. And his book, Exactly What to Say, was the number one most downloaded book on all of Audible last year with over 200,000 downloads, which is pretty impressive, right? So Phil talked all about how to sell using the right words. And as somebody who's been in the sales game for as long as I have, it's rare that I will sit and watch somebody presenting on the subject of sales and kind of be blown away, if I'm to be very honest with you. Phil did that, and you'll find out why right now. Enjoy. Youpreneur FM, helping you build the business of you. Our closing keynote of day one of the Youpreneur Summit. Give it up for Phil Jones! Hi, my name is Bob. Yes! I, I got the magic in me. Every time I touch that track, it turns into gold. Everybody knows I've got the magic in me. So no pressure, right? No pressure. Ladies and gents, good afternoon. It's pretty handy when I plan an interactive session that you kick off by speaking back at me, so thank you for that. And I'm thinking about this session and had the privilege of being here since this morning. See, I came off stage yesterday afternoon in Salt Lake City, took a flight from Salt Lake to New York City, took a flight overnight to New York to be here this morning to come and listen to the sessions prior to me being on stage. And man, you've had some knowledge thrown at you. Like huge amount of information, wisdom, so much stuff to do. And then it made me think about the speaker that was before me yesterday at my event in Salt Lake. And the speaker before me yesterday in Salt Lake opened his presentation by bellowing the words to the audience. He bellowed the words, knowledge is power. That's what he said. And I'm thinking about that guy right now, thinking about this moment, thought I'd ask you guys a question. Is that true, yes or no? See, it's utter nonsense in my mind. Complete and utter nonsense. And I'm going to prove it to you right now. Show of hands in this room who'd like to be more successful. Keep your hand raised if you know of at least one thing that would make you more successful and you're still not doing it. (laughs) We think it's knowledge that leads to power, yet it's the implementation of the knowledge that leads to the power. It's the stuff that you choose to do. Now, I'm going to rain information on you right now that's like drinking water from a fire hose. I expect you to spill somewhere near most of it. Plan for this session is it's going to be kind of like a workshop. Have any of you ever been to a workshop before where you were delivered a workbook? This means yes. See, if you were delivered a workbook, my guess was you were so proud of said workbook that what you did is you filled it in with your neatest of handwriting. You plugged all the gaps where you were supposed to. You even spelt your name right. 
And then at the end of the said workshop, what did you do with the workbook? See, I know what you did with it. I know, right? Never see the light of day again. Shelf in the office, bag it still came in. Maybe it's in the boot of the car, I don't know. See, in this session right now, ladies and gents, I want you to write nothing down. I don't want you to write a single thing down at all. Not a thing. Unless you're going to use it. Unless you're going to do something with it. Unless you're going to put it into practice. In addition to that, if this is going to run like a workshop, I've learned that workshops work way better with rules. So here be the rules. Rule number one is if I ask a question, damn, I love an answer. Like it real helps. Sometimes I might ask for a question that just requires a yes or a no based answer. And I know speaking up in front of this giant room of people could be tough for you. I get that. So I need you to know that I know that this means yes. And the shake, I can follow that one too. Occasionally I might ask for a hand up. And ladies and gents, this is a hand up. This is only half a hand. And this is when is this dude done? So I'll tell you right now, I'm going to run for another 43 minutes. I told you my travel journey to be able to get to this point in time right now, and it's been pretty hellish to get to this moment. So what I decided before stepping up on stage today is I'm going to give you the very best that I've got. I'm going to put it all out there, and I'm going to do it under one condition. The one condition is that if I play full on in this next 43 minutes, will you give me the promise of playing full on in the other direction? Yes or yes? Yes. All righty. We should probably do this. Let's get to work anyway. What are we here to talk about? We're here to talk a touch about selling and salesmanship. Quick show of hands in this room. Who, when they were a child, said, when I grow up, what I cannot wait to be is a salesperson? Ha, <laughs> ah, figured as much as that. Is, um, are salespeople born or made? Let's just check that for a second. Is, what does a three-year-old do when they want something? First thing they do is they ask, right? What they then do next? They ask again and again and again. Failing that, what do they do? Whatever it takes. So I'll ask the question again. Salespeople, are they born or made? Born, right? We were all born with the innate ability to be able to ask. Finish this sentence for me. If you do not ask, you don't get. We know that to be true. Yet still, the biggest reason that most of you in this room are failing to get the success that I know that you're capable of is because you're not asking for the things that you need. You're not asking for the things that you want. Why do people not ask for things when they know that if you do not ask, you do not get? Why don't they ask? Rejection. What about rejection? Fear of rejection. I wonder how many times I hear that. I'm fearful of rejection. I just want to quash that for a second. Let's take the rejection part for a second. Show our hands in this room who's been rejected by somebody they care about in the last seven days. Maybe you're like, hey, let's go here for dinner. And they're like, no, not tonight. And you're like, what about here for our next vacation? And they're like, no way. Maybe you wanted fun in the bedroom. And they're like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't know what it was. (laughs) But you were thinking one thing and they thought something completely different. And in those scenarios, how are we with the rejection that we face? We're fine most of the time. We just get on with it. It happens, right? Nobody expects people to agree with us all the time, but does it stop us asking for the things that we want in other areas of our life? See, if you do not ask, you do not get. We say the biggest reason we do not ask is because we're fearful of change. Let's take that word fear for a second. You ever seen corporate trainers try to do things with words to change what they mean by turning them into acronyms? Have you ever seen this? So they take a word like fear, they put it on a flip chart. It's like an F, an E, an A, and an R. And then they come up with like this cute little saying. They say like, um, all that fear is, is um, false evidence appearing real. And I think that is so cute. Like so cute. Because you know what I see with many people like you in this room? When faced with fear, what I see is I see F everything and run. (laughs) That's what I see by alternative. See, what the reality of is, is that every single one of you in this room is a salesperson. Every single one of you. But I want to have some fun for a second. I'd like you to throw some words at me, some adjectives. Some adjectives that describe a stereotypical salesperson. And we can be as mean as you like. Hit me with what you got. What do we got? Sleazy. Sleazy. What else? Pushy. Pushy, Annoying. Keep going. Arrogant. 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 Pest. A pest. Ignorant. Whew. 
See that sequence of words? If somebody used those words to describe you, somebody saw that in you when they saw you for the very first time, how would that make you feel? Yucky, right? She said pissed off. What if by alternative, though, I didn't ask you to describe a stereotypical salesperson, but by alternative, I ask you to describe a professional salesperson? How do the adjectives now change? Helpful, efficient, service, informative, insightful, great listener, empathetic. Wow. If somebody saw that in you when they saw you for the very first time, somebody used those words to describe you, how would that make you feel? Yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't that interesting? See what happened right there? I changed one word. And you changed all the words. That's what happened. I changed one word, you changed all the words. I wonder if this might be true. I wonder if being a salesperson isn't the bad thing. I wonder if merely your perception of what a salesperson is could be the bad thing. I wonder if that was true. I'm going to promise you from this session right now, if anybody ever says the words to you that you are a great salesperson... That, my friends, is not a compliment. It means you've been caught trying to sell something to somebody. See, none of us should be looking for applause for our sales skills. The only result we should be looking for from our customers is the receipt of the words thank you more often. That's what we should be chasing. Getting them to say thank you to us. And perhaps paying the money we ask too. Maybe that too. I changed one word, you changed all the words. I'm going to ask you to change a number of things today. Understanding that tiny changes could make massive differences. But do people like change? Would it be fair to say that if you want to change your outcomes, you might have to change your input? That would be fair to say, right? But do people like change? Let's just prove how much people like change. Guys, do me a favor. Fold your arms for me. No, not that way. The other way. Oh! This is freaking weird, right? It's like being hugged by a stranger. He likes it. He likes it. That is one of the simplest of changes I could ask you to make. I want us to understand that change is hard. Change is difficult. Change isn't something that we look to be able to move towards too freely. But change is required if you want to change our results. So what was the most important thing that I wanted to share with you here today? Well, the most important thing that I wanted to share with you was this. The most important thing was... Um, um, When is the worst time to think about the thing you're going to say? It's in the moment when you're saying it, right? That is the worst time to think about the thing you're going to say. It's in the very moment when you're saying it. Yet what I've learned is sometimes the biggest difference between those that do good and those that do great is the ones that do great know exactly what to say, when to say it, and how to make it count. My challenge to many of you right now is how many crucial, critical conversations do you find yourself in? with your existing customers, with prospects. When the moment where it really matters, when you need to find yourself reaching for the right words, in that moment you find yourself lost for words. You come away from a conversation thinking shoulda, woulda, coulda. When is the worst time to think about the thing you're going to say? It's in the moment when you're saying it. Right now you've probably realized I'm kind of pedantic about word choices. So much so that I wrote this little book about it. It's a little book I'm really proud of, and I'm proud of it for so many reasons. One of the big reasons is that this is a genuine bestseller. We've sold over half a million copies, translated into 29 different languages. In fact, this little book's done so well, it outsold Fifty Shades of Grey. For a whole day. It's imperative we celebrate our wins in life, though, right? Imperative that we celebrate the wins. Note though what I said is I said that this is a bestseller because what did I learn? I learned that people are good at buying books. I repeat, they're good at buying books. What are they not so good at? Reading. reading books and then taking action on what they read. So I wrote the biggest small book that I possibly could. I crammed as much wisdom as I could between the pages of a book you could read in just over an hour. It has big font, white space, and guess what happens? People read the book. They finish the book, they feel smarter because they finished the book, and then they take action on the things that are inside the book, and I know they do because they tell me. Every day somebody writes to me and says, hey, Phil, I loved your book, I did this, 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 and this, and it worked. What the book is is a book full of what I call my magic words. And magic words are magic because they talk straight towards the subconscious brain. 
Subconscious brain is powerful in the decision-making process is because there is no maybe in subconscious. Subconscious picks yes or it picks no. It never procrastinates. What would happen if you could talk to the part of somebody's brain that cannot say maybe? Can only say heck yes or hell no. It's going to commit one way or another. Would that mean that you get more decisions from your clients and prospects? This means yes. Thank you. That one person. <laughs> See, it would mean that we get more of our own way more often if we could accelerate the rate of decision. I say we talk towards the subconscious brain. What is the subconscious brain? I'll help you understand it further. All the subconscious brain is, is it's like a little human computer. It has a yes or a no based outcome. Some examples of where the subconscious brain has served you is do you ever remember like a familiar car ride? Where you remember getting into the vehicle at one point in time and then you remember arriving at the destination and you have no idea how you got there. That was the subconscious brain that took the drive. If it's not that one, I want you to see it really as nothing more than the little voice inside your head. And if you're sat there right now thinking that you haven't got a little voice inside your head, then that is the little voice telling you you haven't got a little voice. <laughs> we all have one. Learning to talk to other peoples can unleash a superpower in your conversations. So why don't I share some of these magic words with you? Share some sequences of words that can get you your own way more often. We learned earlier on that one of the biggest reasons that you and people like you do not ask for the things that they want in life is because they are fearful of rejection. So would it help if the first sequence of words that I give to you guys today is a sequence of words that would allow you to ask just about anybody, just about anything? What if I gave you a way that you could ask just about anybody, just about anything, and it be completely rejection-free? Would that be useful? Yeah. Let's get to work then. Here's the first set of words. See, if I wanted somebody to consider my idea, instead of asking them to consider my idea, I might preface it with a really useful sequence of words. I might preface the idea that I'd be looking to introduce to you with the words, I'm not sure if it's for you. See, if I preface my idea with the words, I'm not sure if it's for you, what does the little voice do? Little voice does two things. First thing the little voice does is it says, um, well, I'll be the judge of that. Right? Yeah. Second thing it does is um, curiosity is piqued. What is it? <laughs> tell me, tell me, tell me. Like I'm thinking this is good news. So if we preface an idea with the words, I'm not sure if it's for you, we're in good shape. But on my slide, there was another word. It was a three-letter word. It sat on the end of this sequence. If we just pop it back up for a second, we can look at it together. See, it says, I'm not sure if it's for you, but. The word but is a word that should typically be avoided at all costs. Why? Because what but does is it typically negates what was said prior. See, I remember earlier on that Amy introduced us to the idea that Spider-Man was a great article for us to be able to look towards when it comes to content repurposing. Spider-Man is also a genius in other ways, because do you remember what Peter Parker once said? Peter Parker once said, with great power comes great responsibility. Same thing is true with the use of the word but. See, it should be avoided in almost every set of circumstances unless you're using it on purpose. See, if I wanted you to consider my idea, I might say the words, I'm not sure if it's for you, but. See, I'm not sure if it's for you, but have you ever considered maybe being a guest on my show? Hey, I'm not sure if it's for you, but many of our clients have been having huge success with blank. Hey, I'm not sure if it's for you, but we've just found out some great ways that what we can do is help people like you with these kind of services. See what this does? It just gets you into the conversation that you were really hoping to have. It's a stepping stone before the island. It's like when you asked the guy or the girl for a drink, it wasn't the drink you wanted. Remember that moment, right? It's the casual flirt that gets you into the moment you were looking for. Let's have a look at how we can approach this in another way. Let me give you another set of words. I need to test a piece of basic psychology first. Quick show of hands. Who in this room sees themselves as open-minded? Hmm. Somewhere like almost everybody. I mean, what's the alternative? See, the alternative isn't something that many people want to be. I think almost everybody sees themselves as open-minded. I'm just going to prove this to be true. Show of hands, who are the people in the room that never raise their hands when asked to raise their hands? <laughs> right? See, everybody likes to see themselves as open-minded. What can we do with that fact to increase our ability to invite people to look at what we want them to be able to look at, to get them to consider our ideas, to be able to evolve and ask in some way. All I do is I take the words open-minded and I frame it into the form of a question. 
I'm going to take it and I'm going to say, how open-minded would you be to? It's a rejection-free opening formula to invite anybody to look at anything. How open-minded would you be to sitting down and learning how what we can do is we can help you in ways that your existing suppliers do? How open-minded would you be to considering some ideas that we could add some new value to your business? How open-minded would you be to learning how we could save you some money at blank? How open-minded would you be to using the words, how open-minded are you more often? (laughs) How open-minded would you have been if Chris had asked, how open-minded are you to be able to join this new initiative that they've just laid down? See, I want you to be able to understand that it allows you to be able to passport an idea into somebody's mind for them just to be able to consider it, not to be able to make their mind up on it, just to get it into play. Everything I'm sharing with you today is based on deep knowledge and understanding of this word. One of the most overused words in the world of business is the word motivation. It's thrown around like it's confetti. Very few people know what it means. But knowledge of this word is the secret to influence. If you understand what this word really means, you unlock the power to get just about anybody to do just about anything if you understand what this word really means. I'll help you understand the meaning of the word. It splits right where? There. The derivative of this word, the motive part, comes from the Latin word metavus. And the Asian part of the word comes from the word that we know as action. Modern day translation to the word metavis is the word motive. So those are the two words that you have inside the word motivation. Now if somebody had a motive, it would mean they had a, what's another word for a motive? It means they have a reason. And if somebody's to take action, it means they're going to move or they're going to do something. So all that is meant by the word motivation is a reason to move. That's all it is. Would it be fair to say that if the reason was big enough, you could get just about anybody to do just about anything? If the reason was big enough. Yet whose reasons matter most? Theirs or yours? Always theirs. Yet still, the majority of people that I see, when they talk about what they do to be able to help their customers, talk in terms of the benefit to them. Do you want a two-letter word that you should ban from your web copy right now? Simple two-letter word that we need to remove is the word we. The overuse of the word we means you quite literally we all over your customers. (laughs) Chances are they're not going to like it too much. See, understanding motivation means we can get just about anybody to do just about anything. And you all knew there are only three forms of motivation, yes? Just three forms? You knew that? Dang, I need to unpack it. Okay, first form of motivation. This is the thing you want to run towards. It's the thing you want to chase. It's the thing that's an incentive, right? There's form number one, the incentive, the chase. If it's not incentive motivation, it's fear motivation. It's the second form, right? The thing you want to run away from. Something that might make you more uncomfortable. And if it's not that, it's the third thing. Third form of motivation. This is the thing that you're doing for your own reasons, not somebody else's. Something that is self-motivated, goal-orientated. Something that matters just for you. So you've got the thing you want to run towards. You've got the thing you want to run away from. And you've got the thing that makes your heart sing. That's it. Things that would make us more comfortable, things that could make us uncomfortable, or things that bring us joy. Those are the three different forms of motivation. Our tool at any point in conversation with a customer is to create the right mix of those forms of motivation to get the other person to move in the direction we want them with. That's where you get to play the role of bartender. But all three forms of motivation work. Question I want to ask of you right now, though, is do people move to become more comfortable? The answer is yes. Some of the people, some of the time. Do people move when they're uncomfortable? Yes, they do. More of the people, more of the time. And do people move to do the stuff that matters to them and only them? Yes, only everybody. So all forms of motivation work. And I just want you to understand something that might be happening in your business right now. And I'm going to use this chair here as a prop. I want you to understand that this chair is not a conference chair. This chair is, in fact, your couch, your sofa at home. Now, you've just had a particularly busy day on the back of a particularly busy week, on the back of a a particularly busy month, and you are flat out exhausted. You're wearing everything you wore to work, you're carrying your bag alongside you, you step into your home, and you look at your couch. You take a look at your couch, and a decision comes into your head. And the decision that comes in is you're thinking about taking a seat. And when this decision comes into your head, you commit to it. You decide what it is you're going to do, and you make a bold, decisive move, and you say, without any lack of commitment, I am going to sit on you. And you give it everything you've got. What happens is, 
you find yourself in this kind of position on the couch, right? Here we are on the sofa. And then as we start to be able to relax, we start to think. We start to think to ourselves is, um, you know what? If I go get changed, man, I'm going to be so much more comfortable. <laughs> I will. I know it. There is not a doubt in my mind. I mean, what happens if I lay this way? Whew, that would be a game changer. But you know what? This is fine. True? How many times does that happen with your customers? You find yourself in a conversation with them. What you're doing is you're sharing how your brilliance, your service, your value could add huge impact into their life. As you're sharing the information with them, they're like, I know. I agree completely. There's not a doubt in my mind that this is the right thing for us to be able to do. It sounds brilliant. I love it. But we're fine as we are. Does that happen, yes or no? Too much of the time. I want you to think right now, what is it that gets you off the couch? Dinner's ready. Kids need picking up from school. Jobs need to be done. What about that glass of wine? Really need to get to the thing I committed to go to with my buddy. Some form of external pattern interrupts, kicks in and says, now's your time to move. I need you to take full responsibility that you are that pattern interrupt for your customers. That is your job. If you want to redefine what a salesperson really is, pick my definition. What a salesperson is, is a professional mind maker-upper. That's what our job is. We help people make their mind up. So I shared with you a little thought around motivation. Why don't we get back to understanding how we can use that in the real world? Did you like the first two sequences of magic words that I gave you and could see how they could be used? This means yes. Would you like two more? Yes. Let's hit you with it. Is for this next set, I need you to understand a little bit about how we can use motivation to get people to be able to see things ahead of time. Either something they want to run towards, something they want to run away from, or something that could make their heart sing. And we need to understand a little bit about the decision-making process. And did you know that every decision that every human being has, been, has made has been made at least twice? I repeat that every decision that every human being has ever made has been made at least twice. The first decisions that we make are hypothetical. We make them in our mind's eye. I'm wondering if you've ever said the words to yourself, I cannot see myself doing that. It's kind of a literal thing. If you cannot see yourself doing something, the chance of you choosing to do it are slim to none. Logic would then prevail and say, well, if you could get somebody to see themselves doing something before you invite them to do it, chances of them doing it become significantly higher. That's the first thing I need us to understand. Second thing I need to understand is about how decisions are made. And decisions are made based on our memories. I'm going to unpack some information about how our memories really work. I want you to view your memory as nothing more than like a giant Instagram account. This is a giant catalog of images, tens of thousands of images that exist in our mind. And we use these images to make decisions every day. When we're faced to make a decision today, our immediate process is to reach into our Instagram account, pull out an image or a sequence of images that are similar to the scenario I'm looking at today, saying, how do these images serve me in today's decision-making process? That's how we make our mind up, by looking at past images. Past images that exist in your memory. Here's a really scary thought. How many of your memories actually happen to you? True answer is not as many as you perhaps previously thought. See, things find themselves in our memories because we either experience them ourselves or we borrowed the experience from somebody else. And that borrowed experience from somebody else came into our mind because somebody else told us about it. There is a period of our life where we learn quicker than any other point in our life. And that period of life, some scientists say, is between like 2 and 7. Some say it's between like 3 and 11. They all agree it's when we're kids. When we are kids, we learn quicker than any other point in our life. Why? Because the bulk of our information is served up to us in a certain way. We receive the bulk of our information as children in the form of a story. Now, a story will always sell, whereas a fact will only tell. And stories are our way of implanting images up here in other people's minds. How did a kid know a story was coming? What words were used? Once upon a time. 
See, when you said once upon a time to a kid, kid kicks back, opens up mind, Instagram account is open, gimme, 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 right? That's what happens. You cannot use the words once upon a time with a client or prospect or any form of grown-up for that matter and get the same result. What you can use, though, are the grown-up version of those words, which are the words, just imagine. See, when I say just imagine, it opens the Instagram viewer in the exact same way. What can I now do is I can now insert scenarios. Scenarios somebody might want to run towards, scenarios somebody might want to run away from, or scenarios that would make their heart sing. See, just imagine moving forward with me on this program right now and the difference that will be making to your life in as little as three, four, five, six months' time. Just imagine what that could do. Just imagine failing to take this step, not putting into practice the podcast that you agreed that you would do right here in this room. Just imagine the embarrassment of what would happen if you had to step back into this room in 12 months' time not doing the thing you said you were going to do. Just imagine, though, that you do take action on that podcast that you said you were going to put into practice. And what you do is that you move it forward and you get tens of people download it that become hundreds of people download it, that become thousands of people download it, that you get to a point that you and your family are so proud of what you have achieved and you get to come back in this room next year and tell people the story about it. Just imagine that was true. See what I can do with the words just imagine? I can give you something to chase, something to run from or something that makes your heart sing. And I never said anything. All I did was I asked you to paint pictures in your own mind. You saw what I was saying as opposed to heard what I'm saying. Note the difference. If somebody sees what you're saying, it is very different than if they hear what you're saying. Second example I want to give you here is another thing we need to understand. Todd talked a little bit about the power of emotion. Do people make decisions on emotion or logic? Trick question, true answer is both. Both are true. Yet something always has to feel right here before it makes sense here. Let me just prove that for a second. Show of hands in this room who's married or been married. Dare you ask the question or had the question asked of you, is it because the person you were looking at met your multi-point inspection checklist? <laughs> or did it simply feel right at the time? We make some of the biggest decisions on our lives based on a feeling. We then confirm or validate that decision with logic. Feeling comes first. Feels right here before it makes sense here. My guess is that many of you in this room have a strong make sense argument. We just don't necessarily have a feels-right argument in line with that makes-sense argument yet. We want further validation that people make decisions on feelings first. Has anybody in this room ever been on vacation, on holiday? Maybe you've been on holiday and you went on a shopping trip. You bought yourself some things. You took those things, you packed them in your suitcase. You took that suitcase back home from said trip. You opened the suitcase. You took out the things that you purchased on the shopping trip. You looked at the things and thought, what was I thinking? No, if it wasn't a shopping trip, at least two of you in this room tried yourself a new cocktail for the first time. Tried a new cocktail, liked the way it tasted, looked to the person you were with, said, this is delicious. You said to the barman, what's in it? And they told you what's in it. Two parts of this, a part of the other, a twist and a shake of this, shake it twice, cover the rim in salt, there you go. So you said, we're going to make this when we get home. <laughs> and you do. And it's rubbish. Why? Because you couldn't taste the feeling that you had the first time you tried it. There was no sun blistering your skin, no sand between your toes, no lightness in your heart, just a syrupy concoction in front of you. People will buy a feeling every single time. The trouble with most feelings, though, is they happen after the fact. What if I could tell you that I could passport people in time, just like I did with the words, just imagine, and not passport people through time with what they see, but with what they feel. Would that be useful, yes or yes? See, if I want to move somebody through time with what they feel, all I use is a future conditional feeling, which is prefacing an idea or a statement with the words, how would you feel if? See, how would you feel if three months on from now that we were to work together and you could achieve the results in three months that you failed to achieve in 12 months a year before? How would you feel if that was true? Hey, how would you feel if you know that time that you said at the Upreneur Summit that you were going to produce a podcast and that you told five, six hundred people that that was what you were going to do and you had to show up there next year with that not being done? How would you feel if that was true? How would you feel if you were big and brave, made a giant goal and shared it with 600 of your peers in a mastermind group? And then what you did is you went away from that event and that you did the work. You did the work and actually you achieved results that surpassed what it was that you said you were going to do. And you found yourself coming back to that same event next year, meeting all the people that were going to hold you accountable to your goal. How would you feel if you were walking back into that room right now? Can you know what just happened? 
You saw yourself and felt yourself in a scenario that was based on what you were running towards, running away from, or what would make your heart sing. That's how we move people. And you've got two sequences of words that we can use as a preface to get people to see or feel themselves in the scenarios that you can create. Not the result of what you do, but the result of the result of the result of the result, the thing that matters for them. That's how we sell stuff. Everything I'm talking to you today is about questions. It's about our ability to ask great questions. In fact, here is a five-step process that will not go out of fashion regardless of the internet. Five-step process is this. Questions create conversations that lead to relationships that create opportunities that become sales. Everybody wants more sales, but what they forget is the process. Is questions create conversations. Conversations lead to relationships. Relationships create opportunities. Opportunities become sales. That's the process. Everybody wants to jump straight to the sale. What they're not asking enough of is the questions. But you knew that. And I'm looking at a room full of people who are remarkably smart, performing at the top of their game. So my guess is you're pretty good at questions, yes? When is the worst time to think about the thing you're going to say? It's in the moment when you're saying it. So it'd be remarkably unfair of me to ask you a question you haven't been asked before. So I'm going to see just how good we are at questions. I'm going to pick on a couple of people as volunteers. Good thing is they don't even know who I'm going to pick on yet. I'm going to ask a question you've all been asked a thousand times before. So this isn't going to be anything that should be able to catch you out. And Johnny, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good, thank you. So here we have Johnny at level one of response to the how are you question. I asked Johnny, hey, how are you? His little voice in head says, um, I know this one. <laughs> I'm good. Thank you. Full stop. What happened to the conversation? Dead. Game over, right? How often does that happen? A lot. Let's see if we can find somebody who can advance us to level two. See where we can get to. You say your name is? Bill. Hey, Bill. How are you? Unbelievable. Bill says I'm unbelievable. Period. Another level one player, and there's worse here. <laughs> so he says he's unbelievable. On a scale of one to ten, how unbelievable are you in this moment in relation to other points in your life? Eleven. Liar. <laughs> or you've lived a terrible life, and I'm sorry for you. Somebody get the man a tissue. Right? It's one of those things. Here we are trying to build a relationship based on trust. This young man lies to me in our first interaction. James, hey, how are you? I'm wonderful, mate. How are you doing? I'm wonderful, mate. How are you doing? I'm wonderful too, James. See, there's level two. Let's have a look what happens with level two. I say, James, hey, how are you? He says, I'm wonderful, thank you. Hey, how are you? And what I do is I tell him I'm feeling the exact same thing as him. How often does that happen? Hey, how are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. Hey, how about you? Yeah, I'm fine too. So funny that everybody feels the exact same way whenever we have this exchange. Just like a mirror comes up. But well done, James, getting us to level two. Do you know how many levels there are in this exchange? Two. There are only two levels. It never progresses past that. In modern society, we've learned to become efficient with language, so much so that we're no longer effective with language. That's what's happened. We've created these sterile encounters that believe that nobody gives a damn. That's what happens. Has anybody ever seen a game of tennis that they liked? See, if you've ever seen a game of tennis that you did enjoy, here was why. Yay! Right, that's what we liked. We love the volleys and the rallies. We love when it gets exciting and conversation is the same. Yeah, we forget that. Let me show you something else that we do as people. This one's going to be super fun. You young lady, your name is? Deborah. Deborah, Deborah tell me about the last place you went on your vacation. Stratford-upon-Avon. Stratford I love Stratford. I used to live in the Midlands here in the UK once upon a time, and I really enjoy that part of the world. I take my older daughters there sometimes. But now I get to travel to so many other places. I'm not sure if I told you, but I'm a professional speaker. Right? I travel all around the world. I've spoken on five different continents, 57 different countries, written seven best-selling books. I'm not sure if I told you. I'm freaking awesome. <laughs> How often does that happen? We ask somebody a question, they give us an answer, we proceed by giving them our version of their answer, thinking we're showing interest. Deborah, how did that feel? 
<laughs> Another liar. You want to see her body language? She was like, whoa, get me out of here. Deborah, can we try again? Deborah, tell me about the last place you went on your vacation. Stratford upon Avon. Stratford upon Avon. When was that? A couple of weeks ago. And what made you pick Stratford? Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Are you a fan? What was the first thing you read? Uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. Midsummer Night's Dream. Love that one. Love that one. Have you ever seen the play? Fantastic. Did you get to go to the theatre while you were there? Up in... no, not, time. not this time. Okay, so hoping to go back? Who did you travel up there with? With your daughter. How old is your daughter? 17. 17. Oh, that must have been fun. Was that her first time going? Been a few times before. See, this is Deborah and I in a conversation, right? It's kind of awkward, 450 people around listening in. <laughs> See, my guess is if this conversation played out in another environment, Deborah would be happy to tell me even more, add some more color to this scenario. But I still want you to be able to realize, did I get more information out of that conversation? How many questions did I prepare? Here's a clue. One. Where did the rest of my questions come from? Her answers, which meant I had to do what? Listen, one of the most underrated skills. Let's just take a look at that word together for a second, the word listen. Let's take a look at it and pop it up on screen. See, here's the word listen. Look, it has an L, an I, an S, a T, an E, and an N in it. Here's another word. It has an L, an I, an S, a T, an E, and an N in it. Coincidence? Well, of course it is. It does make a good point, though, right? It makes a good point. See, our job is to encourage people to talk about themselves and listen. What Dale Carnegie once said is you'll make more friends in a short period of time by showing massive interest in others than you ever will in a lifetime of getting people interested in yourself. You want to understand the lesson about how what you can do is to encourage people to talk about themselves? You're going to need some magic words. Some words that encourage people to talk about themselves. I'll tell you them in a second, but some of them are difficult to spell. Before I introduce the words to you, have any of you ever seen the movie Shrek? In the movie Shrek, Shrek says ogres are like because they have people be the same. We have layers. We just forget to take the time to peel them back and let other people unpack them. Here are the words that we can use to encourage people to talk about themselves. You are going to want to write these down, but some of these are difficult to spell. They're words like, uh-huh. Yeah? Wow. Really? Nice. Cool. See, what do words like that really say? Listening. They also say, go on. Keep going. Tell me more. Give me more in that scenario. See, you said that you want to be better salespeople. That's one of the reasons I know you're at events like this. But first thing you might want to do is to stop being a sales prevention officer. <laughs> Scrap that role. Fail that part of the job description. Fired. What did we learn is that questions create conversations that build relationships, that create opportunities that lead to sales. Who is the person who's in control of every conversation? the person who's asking the questions. How many times do your customers ask questions of you and you jump straight to answer mode? You jump straight to advice monster mode. Here's what selling is. Selling is earning the right to make a recommendation. What that means is you should never, ever, 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 ever invite somebody to move forward with your recommendation unless you can say these words first. The words you should look to be able to say first are the words because of the fact that you said. Because of the fact that you said blank, blank, and blank, it's for those reasons what we'd recommend is blank, blank, and blank. So you have to do the work to collect the evidence. Put more simply, in the medical industry, they say that prescription before diagnosis is malpractice. Prescription before diagnosis is malpractice. So please make sure that what you're not doing is inviting somebody to buy your thing before you've really uncovered a need that is genuine and big enough that they, in their words, have said they could benefit from what you're offering. I'm going to finish on a few things that I think are remarkably important. One is this point. See, one of the things that we need to do when face-to-face -face with our customer base is we have to give them enough information to make a decision. There is one word in that sentence that I think is the most important, the most profound. What's the word? Enough. My guess is that many of you in this room have prolonged or delayed a conversation from leading towards the sale you wanted from giving too much information. We have to give enough information to make a decision.
People's buying habits are remarkably different. A mistake that many people make is they project their own buying habits onto other people, saying, I'm going to give you the amount of information I would need if I was going to buy this. 18 different types of buyer persona, you are only one of them. Perhaps put best by a huge mentor in my life. One of the greatest mentors, greatest influence on my life was my grandma, my nan. My nan once said to me, she said, Phil, if everybody thought in the exact same way, then wouldn't the whole world like to marry your grandfather? <laughs> People think differently. They need their information presented to them in different ways. Yet there is one thing that people must have if they're going to make a buying decision. What is one thing that people must have if they're going to make a buying decision? What must they know? If they're going to make a buying decision, they need to know... Need to know the price, right? Got to know how much. And yet what I see so often is when we get to a point of talking about price, I see people in this kind of world, they say it's, um, it's, um, oh, I, uh, um, it's, um, uh, I mean, it's, um, uh, I'll, I'll send it in an email. <laughs> or I see some of you say things like it's, um, oh, it's kind of expensive. It's, um, uh, it's three, um, three thousand, thousand, uh, three thousand, thousand. And then I see some people that pack it up and say, because of the fact that you said blank, blank, and blank, for, what those, for that reason, what we recommend is blank, blank, and blank. What that's going to give you is this, is this, is this, is this, is this, is this, is this. Outside of that, if you need this, we got you. Outside of that, we got this, we got you. And we do all of that for you for just $3,000. Here's the reality. If I have the word price written in my right hand, the word value written in my left hand, and price comes out ahead of value, which one looks bigger? But if the value comes out ahead of the price, which one looks bigger right now? See, you have to want the thing before you know how much the thing is. Quick show of hands in this room who spent more money on something than they said they would. Take a look around. And now ask yourself again, do budgets really exist? All a budget is is like a fictitious creature that somebody made up one day to pass the responsibility onto somebody else. It doesn't really exist. All a budget is is a guideline as what somebody thought they could spend towards the thing that you're offering without having prior knowledge or information towards they really needed. Yet every single one of us has spent more than we needed to when we needed to. How we talk about price is remarkably important. And I'm going to just prove this here for a second. Your name, young man, is? Oliver. Oliver, can I borrow your pen for a second? This is Oliver's pen. Oliver's pen right here is chucked on a table at a yard sale, a car boot sale. How much is the pen? 15 pennies. Now we're going to take Oliver's pen. It's the exact same pen. I'm going to place it in a stand. Stand has 12 identical pens alongside it in the compartment. Stand is made of acrylic. In the adjacent compartments are pens by the same manufacturer in different colors. Manufacturer's name sits across the top of the stand. Stand sits on the counter of a mid-priced department store like a Debenhams or a John Lewis. How much is the pen? It's the same pen. The exact same pen. Now I'm going to take Oliver's pen. The exact same pen. And I'm going to lay it down on its side. I'm going to put it in a box, and the box is made of mahogany. Mahogany box is velvet lined. So I have a pen in a mahogany box that's velvet lined. This sits in a cabinet. Cabinet's made of glass. Glass cabinet is spotlit. So I have a pen in a mahogany box that's velvet lined. Sits in a cabinet. Cabinet's made of glass. Glass cabinet is spotlit. This sits in a department store. Not just any department store. Department store right here in London. Not just anywhere in London. It's in Knightsbridge. Store in question is called Harrods. So this is Oliver's pen. Sits in a Box. Box is made of mahogany. Mahogany box is velvet lined. Sits in a cabinet. Cabinet's made of glass. Glass cabinet is spotlit. <laughs> Sits in a department store. Not just any department store. Department store is in London. It's in Knightsbridge. The store is called Harrods. And to get to the pen, I need to speak to a member of staff. <laughs> member of staff is wearing a black tuxedo. <coughs> has white gloves on. And his name is Pierre. <laughs> How much is the pen? It's the same pen! <laughs> I do not know a better way of explaining to you that in every single marketplace, there are people selling what seems to be the exact same thing for demonstrably different prices. In every single marketplace. In that scenario right there, what was the difference? See, everything that you're talking about right now is true. The thing that's worth the money is never the thing. The thing that's worth the money is the things that surround the thing. If you get clear about the things that surround your thing, then what happens is people see more value in the thing. You catch that? 
And how well you articulate the things that sit outside your thing is how people see the value of what your thing really is. Make sure that you're doing a good enough job of packaging what is around your thing. I got a giant thing to finish on. I could talk to you folks all day. But I want to just jump to this one point. Is um, back one. We learned about Mr. Miyagi, right, as being like the godfather of internet marketing. You remember that, right? Now, if that is true, this is the godfather of selling. Greatest salesperson that ever lived is this young man. For those of you that don't know, this was a television detective. Largely grew up in the 80s. What he would do is that he would quiz suspects, the master question asker. He'd get information from people like with complete brilliance. And as he'd draw that information from people, what he'd start to be able to do is get closer to the person who committed the crime. What would then typically happen, though, with Columbo, the best salesperson that ever lived, is it looked like the conversation was coming to an end. When the conversation was coming to an end, it looked like he was about to leave the conversation. So he'd go towards the door. He'd go towards the door, and as he got towards the door, he'd come back. What he'd do is he'd raise his index finger, and he'd say something. What would he say? Just one more thing. And in that moment, what he had was the ability to ask one more killer question. That when their guard was down and they thought they got away with it, he could ask the question he really wanted to ask to get that thing extra that he needed to be able to go on and allow him to solve the crime. Why do I share that with you? It's because my guess is that you could be creating Columbo moments that right now you are not. Every time you finish a meeting, every time you hang up the phone, every time you close out Zoom or Skype with a customer or a prospect, you hang up. When what you could do is create a Columbo moment and say just one more thing. That when their guard is down, you could put in one more ask. You could ask for an extra piece of business. You could ask for a referral. You could ask for a review. You could ask for a testimonial. You could ask for a case study. You could ask for an introduction into somebody new. There are hundreds of things that you could ask for, but you know this. If you do not ask, you don't get. And we have to get remarkably good at asking. So leaving you with one thing, it'd be kind of crazy if what I didn't have is my own little Columbo moment. So I do have just one more thing with you. Is I've been on like a crazy speaking schedule. I bounce on from here across to Knoxville, back across the pond, and I'm traveling light with carry-on luggage. So I did bring some books with me today, but this is how many I had. I had one of each of the books, and I've talked to you about some of the things in each of these today. And I got a simple question for you, and the question is this, is who wants these? And this is exactly what happens, right? I ask somebody who wants something, you all raise your hand and say, please pick me, please pick me, please pick me. And I want you to notice something there. One tiny, 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 massive lesson. What happens when somebody asks you who wants to be more successful, you raise your hand and you say, pick me, pick me, please pick me. The reality of life is nobody will ever pick you unless at first you choose yourself. So ladies and gents, thank you for listening. I've been Phil Jones. It's a huge privilege to serve you. I wish you all the success in the world you're prepared to work for. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Upreneur FM. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, why not head over to our official website at upreneur.com to access all our tools and resources essential to building, marketing, and monetizing a future-proof business based around your expertise. We'll see you next time.